Romans chapter 12. I have to say this has been a, uh, a great morning for me and a great week, um, to be honest. Um, that uh, baptizing Gabby, not that I already mentioned this, that baptism doesn't save you at all, uh, but being a picture of what's already happened uh, gives me great peace because as a parent, uh, all three of my children have now made a profession of faith in Christ, and that uh, I don't think that there's anything else they could do to bring me such peace uh, in my heart and in my life. Uh, but also, I just I was challenged uh, by one of my children this week. And when I say challenged, not in the way that you would think a child challenges their parent from time to time, but uh, my son came up to me. Uh, Friday and uh, had a Bible in his hand that he had seen laying around the house and uh, and he said hey um, is this yours and I said yeah it's one of mine he said can I have it and I said yes you may and uh, he said okay I didn't think anything more of it and I made my way uh, down to watch the basketball tournament uh, Friday afternoon and I walked in and I saw my son over there sitting in the bleachers and he had this Bible in his hand and and I was like, hey, he brought that Bible to school, and he was holding it. And um, a few minutes goes by, he sees me, and he motions for me, and I went over there. And he said, hey, um, where, uh, where exactly can I find the story of Jonah and the whale? And I said, okay, so it's in the book of Jonah, and showed him, and he got there and everything. And, uh, and he looked at me, and he said, I have a friend that doesn't believe in God, and I'm trying to show him from God's word uh, that God is real. And, uh, and that challenged me, uh, as a pastor and as a parent, because, um, you know, sometimes I think those opportunities are right in front of us and we're just not perceptive to them. And here's a nine-year-old, a uh, new believer, been believer about a year, and here he is trying to uh, witness to one of his friends at school that God is real. So I've been, uh, greatly challenged and blessed, uh, this morning and this week. And, um, when I was thinking about that story with Garen, what, what really sticks out to me is uh, the transformation that I've seen, uh, not just in his life over the past uh, year, year and a half, two years, uh, but the transformation that is supposed to be in all of our hearts and lives when we become a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and this morning, we're going to start a new series called Transformed. Now, when I was in school, um, I was a pretty good student, and there were subjects that I absolutely loved. There were subjects that, that I really enjoyed studying, like math. I liked math. Um, there were subjects like history and geography. Um, I liked those subjects. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of all science, uh, but I liked chemistry because we got to blow stuff up, and there's nothing better as a, as a teenage boy than blowing stuff up. So I liked chemistry, and I especially liked uh, lunch and recess. I liked those two a lot, okay? So there were subjects that I liked, but there were subjects that, that I wasn't a fan of. Um, for example, I do not like the subject of English. If you're an English teacher, I'm sorry. I did not like it. Matter of fact, I got a C one time in junior high on my report card in English, and my dad looked at it and went, a C in English? Boy, you speak English. And I was like, no, I don't. I speak American. They're not the same. And uh, I, don't, I don't like English. It was not my favorite subject at all. Uh, but probably the subject that I disliked the most was biology. 
I did not like biology at all. As a matter of fact, one of my uh, biggest irritations is that you go to school in high school and they make you take so much uh, science, so much math, so much history, so much of this to get a degree, a general education degree, which is what a high school diploma is, and then you go enroll in college and they say, oh, that's not enough. You got to take 45 more hours of this stuff. And I don't, that's the biggest irritation to me. And, and like I said, I liked math, so it wasn't too bad. History wasn't a problem. But uh, when I looked down there and I had to have so much science and biology was one of those options and I was kind of stuck and had to take it, I was not really looking forward to it. So much that I put biology off until the last semester of my senior year. So one of my last classes that I had to take was one of the first 45 hours that I was supposed to take, and I put it off to the tail end because I just didn't like biology. As a matter of fact, I didn't like it so much that I still wake up sometimes having a nightmare that I somehow failed biology or missed the final and didn't actually graduate from college. And I wake up and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I finished. My, I've got my degree to prove it. So I just really didn't like biology. But even in the fact that I didn't like biology, matter of fact, um, never mind, I'll just stop right there. I didn't like biology, and I'm still waiting to use it. But still, that's another argument all day long about from college professors. But still, I didn't like biology, but there was one process in the subject of biology that always intrigued me. And it was a, a process called metamorphosis. And, and metamorphosis is the idea, it's the process where, where um, a, an animal or an instinct or an object undergoes an abrupt transformation after they're born into something completely different. Uh, for example, like a tadpole will metamorphosis into a frog or a caterpillar will undergo metamorphosis into a butterfly. And so that, that, that idea or that concept always intrigued me that something could undergo such a dramatic change after it was born, after it had already come to life, that it would literally change uh, abruptly into something completely different. Now, the Bible tells us that as Christians, after we come to Christ, there is a a metamorphosis, if you will, a transformation that takes place in the life of a believer. And this morning, we're going to start a series on this, this process called Transform. And we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about this process that is supposed to be in the life of a believer. And so in your Bibles this morning, we're going to read verses uh, 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. What we're going to do today in the beginning of our series on transformed is we're really just going to look at the idea of biblical transformation. What it is, what it means, how it works, and, and all that. So in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Rome. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. 
God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word. And now as we spend the next few moments examining it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase today and that the words will be shared would be your words and they will, they will find the place you have for them in the hearts and lives of your people this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be open and receptive to the movement of your spirit in this place and that, Lord, we would literally be transformed by, uh, by coming face to face with your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Romans chapter 12 presents uh, one of, if not the, finest summaries of the Christian life in all of Scripture. And and it starts out by giving the reader a a couple commands in verses 1 and 2. Now, some people break all this down into into, into separate things, but verses 1 and 2 are actually one continuous thought. They are not to, to stop and just focus on one part. They're all together. So the idea of, uh, therefore, brother, I beg you by the mercies of God, uh, present your bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. That's one thing that that he beseeches them to do. But in the same thought, he's telling them, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so all of that works together. And, And it's this whole process, this concept of being transformed that he talks about in verses one and two. And then back from after verses 1 and 2, starting in verse 3, and actually going all the way through chapter 15, you see the marks or the evidence of how this transformation actually plays itself out in the life of a believer. Because what happens is when you change, if we undergo a transformation, there's to be something different. And the way this difference comes out is evidenced in the latter part of chapter 12 and into chapter 13, 14, and 15. And so over the next month or so, we're going to look at all of this and really dive into how this process worked. But this morning, I just simply want us to look at the biblical idea of transformation. And I want us, from our scripture, from our text, I want us to look at four truths that are found in our text about Christian transformation. The first thing I want us to see this morning is transformation defined, or I want to define what transformation is in the Bible. Now, you see that word in verse 2. You see the word, be transformed. Now, that word in the Greek is the literal word metamorpho. Sound familiar? Metaphoroho or metaphor or metamorphosis. That's where we get the English word metamorphosis. It's the same word in Greek as it is in English. And it literally means to change into, into another form or to transform. To go from one thing into something completely different. It is where we get the word metamorphosis from. Now, when I was a kid, I loved the show Incredible Hulk. Now, when I say Incredible Hulk, I'm talking about the original Incredible Hulk, the one with Lou Ferrigno in it. If you haven't seen the original Incredible Hulk, then you're missing out, okay? So I really enjoyed that show. It was was always fun. If you never saw it, the whole idea was there was this guy, and, and he was a pretty nice, normal guy until you made him angry. And when he became angry, he transformed into the Hulk, and he was always known for making a statement. You're making me angry. 
you won't like me when I'm angry. And then he would transform into the Hulk and everybody would flee and run away. As a matter of fact, I liked that show so much that I was known to uh, say that to my family from time to time. My my sister, who's here this morning, uh, or my cousins, when they would start making me mad, I would look at them and go, you're making me angry. Now, you won't like me when I'm angry. Matter of fact, I have a Hulk mask at home. That's exactly what it does because I'm still liable to say that to my kids today. And so I like that show. And one of the reasons why I liked it is because this, this person, when he got angry, undergoes a radical transformation into something huge and green and, 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 and mean, technically. And, and so he underwent this transformation. Now, when we become a Christian, we too are to undergo a change from one form to another. That's why he says, be transformed. You are to be transformed, go into something completely new, to change into something completely different. Uh, when, when we come to Christ, there's a change, a metamorphosis that is to take place in our lives, and we are not to stay the same. Now listen, I believe this is a significant issue in the American church today. And why I believe that is because I believe too many want to come to Christ, but they don't undergo a transformation that the Bible speaks of, yet they walk out and they think somehow or another that they're okay with God, that they're still saved. But there is no example in Scripture of someone coming to Christ and them not undergoing a transformation within themselves. Now, the, what, the problem is, the way some churches view that, is they have a misunderstanding of what that transformation is. And if you really want to know what a transformation is, it's not about cleaning your act up. If you really want to know what the transformation is, then you need to read the rest of Romans 12, starting in verse 3, all the way through verse 15. It has to do with this. For example, and we're going to jump ahead a second, but I'm not going to describe it. it uh, a transformation in the way we love people, the way we serve God, the way we view and the way we treat our enemies, the way we view government, starting in chapter 13. Okay, that is the evidence or the outward marks of someone who's been transformed. Because here's the other truth or the other side of the coin. There are people out there today that think because they, quote, clean their act up that they're okay with God. But you can't clean your act up enough to be all right with God. The only way to be all right with God is for Jesus to be in your heart and in your life and to be the Savior of your life. Because at that moment, God no longer sees you. He sees Jesus in you, and that's what makes you good enough. So you can't clean your act up enough to be okay with God, but when you become a Christian, there's a transformation that takes place in your heart and life. There's a difference. You undergo a radical change, not necessarily on the outside, but on the inside, that then begins to flourish and show itself on the outside. Now, we're going to get more into that as we go, but that's the truth of it, is that there's a transformation the Bible speaks of that takes place on the inside, and then it shows itself on the outside. Now, Paul talked about this also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay, and so there's an idea in Scripture of when you come to Christ, there is a transformation that takes place in the life of of a believer, okay? And so what Paul is speaking of is the idea of a believer undergoing a radical change from the inside, and then it works its way 
to the outside. And so that's what transformation is from a biblical perspective. It is undergoing a radical change from one form to another. The old life, the sinful life, the life that lived for self, the life that lived for pleasure, the life that lived uh, for, for sin, if you will, that life has faded away. It's gone. And behold, you have a new life. And that new life is a spiritual life where your focus is no longer on those old things, but it is on the new things that God has wanted and wanting you to do and has done in your life. So that's what Christian transformation is. Now, I want you to see a few more things this morning uh, before, we, before we finish. Number two this morning is I want you to see that transformation from a biblical perspective, especially here in Romans 12, is a begged command. It's a begged command. Now, look at verse 1. If you look back at verse 1, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, that word beseech in the Greek literally means to urge strongly, to implore, or to beg. Okay, that's what it means. To, to, I urge you strongly, I implore you, I beg you be, uh, to submit yourself to God. By the mercies of God, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. Now, here's the point, and here's the truth. You've got to make sure that you read chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 together, because if you don't, you miss that Paul is begging them a command of actually three things. Look at it. He says, by the mercies of God, number one, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, and... And so he ties them together and do not be conformed, which is number two. That's the second thing he's begging us not to do is don't be conformed to this world, which has everything to do with the way you live your life on the outside. Conformed in the Greek literally means the way you appear on the outside. So we are not to let our outward lives be conformed or molded by this world. And then number three, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he actually gives three commands in that that he is actually begging them to do. Paul is begging them, saying, be dedicated to God, and also begging them to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Paul is admonishing them. He is begging them to be transformed. But why? Why is he begging them? Why is he begging or urging or strongly, or, or why is he imploring them to be transformed. We'll look back at verse 1 and you'll find the answer. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Now, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways you can divine the mercies of God, but really, if you want to get it within context, you have to know what Paul has already written about in Romans, starting in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11. And I'll sum them up for you basically three ways. Number one, uh, the mercies of God involve God's meeting our desperate need to be right with him. Our desperate need to be right with him. All the way starting back in the book of Romans chapter 1, we find that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's, and then all the way through chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every one of us have this maze, this this. Mag this huge problem that stands between us and God, and it's called sin, and we have a desperate need to be right with this God, and God has met it in Jesus Christ. It also involved providing the power to be set free from this power of sin and separation. We, we know the, the book of Romans tells us about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto righteousness for everyone who believes. 
Okay, and so it's about the providing of the power to be set free from the power of sin and separation. You and I have a sin problem. Because of our sin problem, we're separated from God, and we have no power in and of ourselves to, to fix it. But God fixed it in his mercy. And then number three would be the granting of sonship as children. Okay, and so that basically sums up chapters 1 through 11 and when he's talking about the mercies of God. So Paul is saying, by the mercies or because of the mercies of God, the work of God in your life, the work of salvation, he's met your desperate need to be right with him. He's provided the power to be set free from sin and separation, and he's now granted you sonship as his child, not based off what you do, but based off what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, that he no longer views you as his enemy. He views you as a son or a daughter, as a child of God because of Jesus, based off this, because of this amazing work of salvation in God's life, I beg you, I implore you, be transformed in your life. But note also, it's not just a begging, but it's not a suggestion. When you, when you read that be conformed, it's written in such a way in the original language as to, to note or suggest uh, to us a command. As a matter of fact, I've mentioned this before, and I'm not here to give you a big Greek uh, message or lesson or whatever, but Greek verbs have lots of different moods, and the mood dictates what it means. Well, this particular word, be transformed, is written in the imperative mood, which means a command. It's not a suggestion. He's begging them, but he's commanding them to do it. Here's the point. As believers, we are to be transformed, and Paul is begging them to be transformed because of what you've received in Jesus. So it's a begged command. And number three this morning, not only is it a begged command, but it is an ongoing process. It is an ongoing process. You see, not only is this a command, we, saw, we see that briefly just by looking at the fact that it's written in the imperative mood in the Greek, which literally means a command, but it is also written in the present tense. Now, in Greek, to write something in the present tense means a present action taking place. Now, here's the truth, and we need to remember this. Even though I don't like English, I do remember this. We live in the present. You don't live in the past. The past is gone. You don't live in the future. The future is unattainable. You and I only and ever and always live in the present moment. So when he writes it in the present tense, it's a constant action. It is an ongoing process. You and I are to be transformed continually. Now, what's that mean to us? Here's the point. You and I, and no believer in Christ, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how long you've walked with Christ, I don't care how much you know, you and I never, quote, arrive. There is never a point in your life where you can say, I've arrived, I have reached complete transformation, I no longer need to be transformed, I know everything I need to know, and there's no, no, no more for me to grow. That's the point. And listen, that is a problem in some churches today. I've pastored people who have, quote, arrived. And they are very difficult to teach. They're very difficult to lead because they think it a know-it-all. As a matter of fact, I met one of these gentlemen this last year in, in, a, in a process. And um, 
Not a member of our church at all, so, so don't take that at all. It wasn't a member here, but a member of another church. And I uh, got to know him and visiting with him and talking with him and, and uh, became very clear that he knew everything. Everything. And when I say everything, I literally mean everything. Even the things which I would give him scripture to think about. He would come back with his own thought, and a lot of times with no scripture, which, by the way, that irritates me. If you're going to have a position, at least have scripture to back it up. I can deal with someone who has scripture, okay? But if you don't have scripture and you're just bringing me opinion, I don't deal well with that very much, especially when you're trying to get me to change the way I think. Just, just be honest, just throw that out there. Have you ever met someone like that? That's the danger. Because when you get a a church that is full of people that have been transformed in the past tense, mean one and done, or they've stopped, or they've ceased being transformed, then they have no room for growth because they know it all. We can't change this because we did this because of this 25 years ago, or we did this because of this 50 years ago. We don't live 25 years ago, church. We don't live 50 years ago, church. We live in a world that is in the present, and if the church don't come into the present, the church isn't going to reach the present. I'll just be honest with you. And so he's telling them, listen, you and I, he's begging them this command to be transformed, but it's not a one-time and done process. It is a continuing, ongoing process. We should constantly be in a state of transformation whereby we shouldn't be the same today as we are or were yesterday. Or we definitely shouldn't be the same today as we were on this day last year. I mean, think about that in your own life. I mean, it's today's what, January 7th, 2018? Are you the same believer today that you were in January 7th of 2017? How about 2016? 15? Or 14? How far back do you have to go before you see, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I haven't progressed at all in one year? Two years, three years, four years, 25 years. I don't care. Fill in the blank. How long has it been since I've been transformed by the renewing of my mind? Because this renewing is ongoing. It's continuous. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's a process. Now, I want you to note two things about a process, about this process real quick. Number one, this process happens by the renewing of our mind. We, we become transformed by the renewing of our mind, not renewal of our mind, renewing, continuous. It's constantly being renewed. The believer's mind is to be in a continuous state of renewal, which means to be made new, to be readjusted, to be changed, to be turned around, to be regenerated. That's what it means to be renewed, and our minds are to be continually being renewed. Now, why our minds? Why is it that it is our minds that control uh, whether or not we're being transformed? Listen, it's because of what Scripture says about the corruption of our mind. Matter of fact, I don't, you don't have to look very far. You can stay in the book of Romans. Look in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, and you'll see that man's mind has become vain, empty, futile, and it has 
vain imaginations, you'll see that man's mind has become uh, reprobate, which means it's depraved, it's unprincipled, it's wicked. You can look in Romans chapter 8 um, that tells you that man's mind has become carnal and is at enemy with God. Um, it's a feeling of, of hostility or hatred or ill will or animosity towards God. You can look in the book of Ephesians, you'll see that man's mind has, be, has become full of vanity and emptiness. You can look in Philippians chapter 3, man has become uh, his mind has become focused upon earthly things instead of spiritual things. Colossians chapter 1, man's mind has become alienated from God and an enemy of God. Colossians chapter 2, man's mind has become fleshly. It's about the flesh. Our minds are constantly and ever in need of renewal because our minds are, are, are void and empty and negative and rotten and sinful because we are ever in a lost and dying world that influences our minds. You don't you can walk out of this room this morning and go turn on the TV, you can turn on social media, you can turn on the radio, it doesn't matter, you can turn on any number of things and and your mind is going to come under attack. Oh, that's not really wrong. That's not a, that's not too bad. Who cares that God's word says that's wrong? Our minds are continually being attacked because we live in a world that is under the control of Satan. And so our minds are in a continual need uh, uh, of being renewed every day. You see, when a person receives Jesus Christ into his life, the mind is in need of renewal. Whereas the believer's mind and image used to be centered upon the world, upon self, upon their own personal wants and desires, they are now to be continually centered upon Christ and upon spiritual matters. And number two about uh, this process, number one, it's a process that happens by the renewing of our mind that comes from being in God's word. But number two, it doesn't happen overnight. The process of being renewed doesn't take place overnight. Listen, any metamorphosis that, takes, that happens takes time. A caterpillar does not become a butterfly overnight. A tadpole does not become a frog overnight. There's a process. Now, I don't know. You, you have a degree in biology, don't you? I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to pull you out. He likes biology. How long is that process? you know off the top of your head? Four years? Something like that. A long time. And it could be four days. I don't care. It could be two days. I don't care. It's a process. Metamorphosis doesn't happen overnight. And you and I being renewed every day, day by day, to be in conform to the image of Christ doesn't take place overnight. And we need to stop treating people like it should. Oh, yeah. When someone comes to Christ and they don't change overnight, we try to convince them somehow or another that they're not saved. But metamorphosis of the mind is an ongoing process because it doesn't take place overnight. The heart has been changed, but the mind has not. That's why Paul would say in the book of Romans that we're at constant war with one another. Our, our heart and our flesh are constantly warring back and forth. Because even our heart knows what to do, but our flesh ends up leading us astray. Flesh, in another way, the Bible is led by our minds. So they're at war with one another. Our heart and our minds are being warring with one another. And sometimes the heart wins, great. Sometimes the mind wins, but our, our minds need to be continually being renewed because it's evil. 
Because it, it's being constantly bombarded with evilness and wrong in our life. And so we need to make sure that we understand that, that transformation doesn't take place overnight. It is a process that takes place over time. And what we need to start doing when we, when we have these believers, as a matter of fact, this is not just talked about here. One of the ways this works itself out later in Romans, I believe it's chapter 14. It could be uh, later in chapter 12. It's either 12 or 14. Is how we treat, Christians, treat weaker believers. You know the context, the text of treating weaker believers and understanding how we treat them? It's in this chapter's. It's in this process of how it works that when our minds become transformed by the renewing of our minds, it affects the way we treat weak believers. Instead of shunning them and treating them like they're awful and evil, we begin to see them as nothing more than weak believers who need strength, and then we begin to do what? We begin to disciple them the way the Bible tells us to. And so instead of shunning people that don't come into the process quite as quickly as we think they should, we ought to come and surround them and show them love and mercy and grace and disciple them and show them and reveal to them the process of becoming a stronger believer. And so this transformation doesn't happen overnight, so we need to stop putting an overnight transformation on top of people because their minds don't transform overnight because if it did, then this wouldn't be accurate. But the Bible tells us we need to be renewed over time, all the time, because it doesn't just happen. It's a process. And the last thing this morning, and we'll, be, we'll close, is what's the end result of all this? Well, there's two end results. We're going to talk about one of them for the remaining part of the series, and that is it affects the way we live our lives. It affects uh, all these different areas, and we're going to talk about them. But really, in, our, in verse 2, it really gives us the the, for our, our message today, the end result of all this. Look what happens in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, when we become transformed by the renewing of our minds, it allows us to prove the will of God in our life. Now, that word prove literally means to both find and follow the will of God. You see, God has a plan for you and I. He, he has something he wants for you. He has something he wants for me. The Bible says he has, has works that he's actually, quote, predetermined for us to do. Ephesians 2 uh, tells us this in verse 10 when he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. You see, God has a preordained or a predestined work that he wants you to walk in and wants you to do. And, and the only way to find that is to be in the will of God. And the only way to be in the will of God is to have your mind renewed, being renewed or transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, if a person's mind is not being renewed and focused upon God, how can the person ever find and discover and know the will of God? How can the person ever follow or obey or do the will of God if your mind is not on the will of God? You see, the only conceivable way a person can ever find and continually walk and follow God's will for their life is to focus and to keep his mind upon God and upon the things of God.